I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, Valentine's Day is almost here, so it is the perfect time to visit our sponsor, AdamandEve.com, for all of your erotic and adult needs, and for 50% off almost any item. And they have great prices to begin with. So just go to AdamandEve.com and type in RISK at the checkout. Also, ProFlowers.com. Perfect time to be sending flowers or chocolates or gifts. Go to ProFlowers.com. Click on the microphone and enter the gift code RISK to receive a free glass vase with your order. Then there's all those Valentine cards you gotta mail. But did you know that postage rates are changing again? Which means the post office is about to become even more crowded. That's why we at Risk and the Story Studio use Stamps.com. We can buy and print official U.S. postage right from our desks using our own computer and printers. Stamps.com always updates the postage rates for you automatically. And unlike those postage meter companies, Stamps.com never charges a fee to do it. So you always get the exact postage you need. You'll never have to go to the post office again. Now, right now, we have a special offer. When you use our promo code RISK, it's a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. Remember, you'll be helping us when you do that. That's Stamps.com. Enter RISK. Now, here's the show.
kids, this is Extra Risk, where we give you just a little bit more of the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Apes on Tape behind me now. As you probably already know, those of us who create risk also have a school at thestorystudio.org. We have all kinds of workshops for business people, for writers, performers, for folks who are just working on their social skills. And we have a bunch of different exercises we put people through to help them to kind of evoke more emotions in their stories, flesh out vivid scenes, master the typical trajectories of story structure, learn how to dig deeper into your thematic content and making a point. And some of those workshops are online and some of them are in person right here in New York. And at one of those, one of those in-person workshops, this remarkable young lady, Sarah Bell, uh, she came and shared some stuff with us. We're going to feature her on today's episode. Sarah is a member of the notorious New York sketch comedy group, Fucked, F-U-C-T. You can find them at FuckedNYC.com. And so without further ado, here is Sarah Bell with a story we call Between Friends. So from 14 to 18, I went to a musical theater camp that was year-round. We did five musicals a season, three seasons a year. It was a fantastic education. And there were a lot of co-ed sleepovers. I finally, after a lot of browbeating, got my parents to allow me to go to one of these. But my parents had nothing to worry about. I was a late bloomer, especially sexually. Braces uneven puberty tits and a mini fupa are all the chastity belt that this little fruit fly ever needed. Plus, I had pinned all my hopes onto a very closeted singer named Michael. You know, we would shut the door while he would hang out at my home, but my parents had nothing to worry about because we would just scream the Jekyll and Hyde theme song back at one another. And that's all that I was really interested in. I liked boys, I liked being with boys, but I was unaware of what it was to be with a boy. So I remember I'm at my first sleepover and I'm watching my first scary movie because I wasn't allowed to watch scary movies. And I'm in the dark in a living room, curled up on this white leather couch with boys. And I notice Leslie's on the floor right in front of me with Victor. Leslie is one of the popular girls at this young performer's workshop. She's gorgeous. She's obviously, of all the girls there, she is the one that's the most developed sexually. She wears perfume. She wears Candy's high heel acrylic sandals. You know, she's just got it together. I hadn't even started shaving my leg up to the knee at this point. And I just felt very square around these girls. I wasn't even very comfortable around girls. I always felt more comfortable hanging out with guys. 
but just in a friendly way, maybe a, a poke of the shoulder, you know, a little punching, but that was the extent of it. Girls scared me because I felt that I was always being judged. And for someone who's as nervous and anxious as I am, that just turns me off or makes me incredibly loud and incredibly annoying to mostly everyone around them. Every season at Centenary, when it would start, the day of auditions, you would lose your friends. After the cast list went up, you would gain your new friends for who that season was going to be. Because as friendly as we all were, at the beginning of the season, we were all competing against each other for the best parts. So after the beginning of a season, when the cast list went up, Leslie and I were in a lot of the similar shows and had a few scenes together. And we just, you know, started to have fun together during rehearsal. And she asked me if I wanted to go to a sleepover to her house that night with a couple of the other girls and, and her boyfriend at the time. So I'm at this party and I noticed Leslie on the floor with Victor. And Victor's one of the most popular boys at the Young Performers Workshop. But they're not watching the movie. He's pretending to watch the movie, but her head is under their blanket. And I have no idea what she's doing, but I am intrigued. She has my full attention here. I saw that she was talented in ways that I couldn't even begin to fathom. She was so cool and so confident and so okay with herself that she made me feel more okay with myself. So we became fast friends really quickly. We have sleepovers at her house all the time. She has a revolving door of boyfriends and I love hanging out with the guys. You know, I'm not ready for the kind of experiences that she's having, but I'm grateful for any spillover of attention. And I hated my home. My home, no one ever came over. Dad was an alcoholic. Mom was very unhappy and didn't know how to deal with it. So she would just sort of sequester herself in the bedroom. It was not a happy home. So to go to Long Valley, to her fantastic house where friends were welcome, and she just made me feel not weird. And I felt really special. And I felt like I had a place for the first time in my life. And it was with her. And I felt really grateful for that. She got me high for the first time in her car. We're in the parking lot of the theater camp and it's the middle of winter and we're freezing in the snow because we're in our dance outfits still, tights and leg warmers and very thin jackets despite the New Jersey weather. And she says to me, suck in for as long and as hard as you can. Not everybody gets high for the first time. We're getting you high for the first time. Okay. So I take the bowl that she's gotten from Cancun and I suck in, but there's no filter. So flaming hunks of weed are going straight through the pipe and down my throat. She thinks I'm just really gotten the hang of this and that we have to constantly repack the bowl, but I'm not actually smoking it as much as I'm ingesting it. But, you know, like any good teacher, she's holding the carburetor on the bowl for me. She's lighting it because at this point, smoking pot is like some sort of magical alchemy. So she's leading me through this experience. And I get so high 
that I have to push both of my feet against the dashboard in order to keep from falling out of existence. Really good times. We drive to the diner. I don't even know how she could drive. I I couldn't even function. And we go to the diner where everyone would go after rehearsal. There's a huge table in the center of the diner. And as soon as we walk in, everyone sees us. I'm so high, I run into the bathroom, hide in the stall, and she basically talks me out of the stall. It's okay, everything's fine. You have no idea, everybody smokes weed. It's not just you. I'm sure half the people are high there right now, which is true. So she pulls me out of the stall and I'm too stoned to talk to anyone. So we just go to a back booth. We walk past the table as if we were strangers to them. And while the boys come up to us to try to mess with me because I'm so high, she protects me. She says, Justin, leave her alone. Kevin, don't bother us. We're just having a girl's night out. And I felt really safe. And (laughs) it obviously worked because I love smoking pot to this day. So she got me there. Um, Leslie's parents eventually get divorced. And it's really hard. I even asked my parents if she could live with us because we were that close at that point. But my father saw that she was a wild child and put a kibosh on that super fast. I was devastated. She decided to go live with her father in Briarcliff, New York. She knew I was so upset, so we would continue to have these sleepovers. She would just pick me up after rehearsal on the weekend. We would drive up to Briarcliff, have our sleepover, and then she would drop me off at Centenary, the young performer's workshop. She couldn't be in it anymore because she was adjusting to her new life in New York, but she would make sure that I could be a part of the Young Performers Workshop and still be a part of her life. We have a couple of these sleepovers. Everything's great. But one particular time, I remember seeing all these pictures littering the back seat of her car. And I look through them, and they're pictures of her kissing girls. And her splayed out naked on a pool table. And after that, I stop looking because I feel really uncomfortable. It was one thing for her to have a revolving door of boyfriends. When I ask her about them, she says, it's just something that I do with my new friends. And I feel shamed. And I, great, now I'm lame to the one person that made me feel not lame. You know, because she's starring in some pre-internet bang bus that's littering the back seat of this dented Dodge probe. And I just try to shake it off. Maybe I'm the one that's too provincial. Maybe I'm so suburban. Whatever. She's kissing girls. She's naked on a pool table. Whatever. She takes me to a party that night. And she promptly leaves me alone so she can go ski pole two guys upstairs. I get baited into a drinking contest by the rat from Charlotte's Web. I'm 16, and I've never drank alcohol on purpose in my life. Before that, I knew I would win this drinking contest because it was a straight vodka drinking contest. Uh, All kind of like quarters, but mostly, can you drink this? I can drink this, you know, kind of like the Indiana Jones (laughs) scene uh, with Karen Allen. 
I had in my youth come in from playing, gone to take a glass of water off the kitchen table and unwittingly taken a, a big swig of straight vodka. That's why I can't drink vodka to this day. My father would hide it in the house. So I knew that I could beat this kid. So I drank two red beer cupfuls of Georgie vodka before she returned. I remember pouring orange juice into the third cupful and getting into her back seat and continue drinking into my first blackout. Black in. I'm knuckle deep, fingering a very wet, wriggling Leslie. And she's trying to shove a digit into me, but I'm dry as a bone. At this point in my life, I've never even touched myself down there. I didn't even know what a pussy was supposed to feel like aroused until my fingers were in Leslie's pussy. And I was like, well, this is working for her, but it's not working for me. I stumble out of bed and I go sleep on the couch. A real great divide. It was the first time that I didn't sleep with her at a sleepover. She dropped me off at Centenary the next morning, and we never spoke about it ever again. I felt so ashamed. I felt that she knew that I was not ready to be a sexual person, but sort of I was the last person that she was with for the evening, so we were going to get sexual because she wanted to get sexual. And I felt betrayed. I felt like she knew that I would be really bothered when girls or anybody would tease me and call me a dyke because I knew in my heart that I wasn't, but I loved Doc Martin boots and corduroys and my dad's Cosby sweaters. I just wasn't a girly girl, but I didn't want that to make me a dyke. But I felt like fingering Leslie had made me a dyke, like it or not, you know? Uh, I thought that somebody would be able to tell that I had had my first sexual experience and that they would know that it was with Leslie. Needless to say, I, I was not available for any more sleepovers after that. And we, we fall off. I start dodging her calls, and a whole year goes by with really very little contact until she calls me spring break senior year of high school and says that her father killed himself. He shot himself in the back of the head with a nail gun that he had gotten from Home Depot that day. This was all over the news. It was brutal. So I jump right back in it. I feel that, you know, she is my friend. She took good care of me and she protected me and made me feel safe. When I felt socially awkward, I just needed to be near her and make her feel safe. So I, I didn't leave her side for days. She was holding up pretty well until the day of the service. She disappeared from me for a little while. And we meet back up in the church parking lot. And I see her stumble out of her car. And I think it's because she's just so wrought with grief. But when I get closer to her, she has this Heath Ledger Joker-style grin from ear to ear. 
and her eyes are like saucers. The pupils are just dilated beyond belief, and she's tripping her face off at her father's funeral. I mean, smoking pot is one thing, but tripping on the day you're going to put your dad in the ground, I was just so out of my depth. I didn't know this person anymore. It really felt like someone had screwed off the top of her head, taken out her brain, and put this animal inside of her. At the service, I'm holding on to her leg and her knee to keep her from bursting out laughing during the service. And I'm itching all through it because I've stressed myself out. I gave myself the chicken pox or at least lowered my immune system enough so that chicken pox could just flow through me. After the service, I leave her with her mother and I sit in a bathtub for the rest of the week filled with oatmeal and just try to pop the blisters between my toes. It's later, summer, and we're at a party together. She's looking for a housemate in Yonkers, and I've been denied housing but accepted to Fordham. So my only other option at this point was to live at home. But she's like, come live with me. Oh, it'll be so much fun. I didn't want to live with her. I didn't want to deal with it. Not that I thought that she would come into my bedroom, you know, at night and take advantage of me. But she was a full-time job in and of herself. I was starting my new life and my new identity. And I didn't want all the baggage that Leslie brought with her to kind of follow me to New York. But my only other choice was to live at home. And home was my father, yellow with jaundice from alcohol withdrawal. And my mother was not yet medicated for her special brand of insanity. And I just didn't want to continue in that prison. I wanted a fresh start. So the freshest start I could possibly get was with the black hole of Briarcliff. So for freedom, I choose to live with Leslie. And she's eventually kicked out of that apartment only a few months after for fucking too loudly. <laughs> she would wake you up out of a dead sleep. The neighbors at dusk would set up lawn chairs to watch the sexual carnival going on through her bedroom. Plus, my bedroom was the converted dining room, so there was no way to get to the bathroom except go through my bedroom. And it was like Grand Central Station during rush hour because of her. Just the parade of sexual partners going through there kept me a prisoner in my bed under my covers. Before she left, she had to give one little gem of a parting gift one more time. It's my first night on my own. I'm 18. I have some fresh ink on the back of my neck. I feel really cool. And Leslie invites me to hang out at the bar where she's cocktailing at. And I've never even been in a bar before. So this is perfect. My first real night of independence. And I drink there for hours until she says, open your mouth, slut. Ah. She slaps a tab of acid on my tongue. I didn't know she was going to dose me. When she said, open your mouth, slut, I don't know. I thought she was going to put like a pretzel or in there or something like that. So when she slapped the tab of acid on my tongue, I immediately swallowed and said, what was that? She says, oh, it's acid. You'll have a great time. We do it all the time. Uh, okay, how do I know when it kicks in?
flash forward a few hours, and we're all laying on the bed. Her, her boyfriend at the time, this beautiful black man, Eric. Oh, my God, gorgeous. And we're all staring up at the ceiling because I have these big joists that are sort of waving in and out. And they're about to go to bed, and I realize, oh, I have to get up today. Today's my first day of college. And I get so excited that I'm going to college. I'm using MTA for the first time. The first time I'm making this pilgrimage to college. And once I get to the train station, which is about a two-mile walk from the house, I'm so excited about being at college that I forget that I'm on acid. Somehow I get through Times Square, take the two stops up on the red line to get to Fordham, walk to Fordham, which is like singing trees like Who Framed Roger Rabbit when they go into Toontown. That was college. The doors were opening. Everything was singing. I meet my parents. We watch a anti-drug assembly right when the day starts, like at 8.45 in the morning. And I'm loving it. <laughs> it's amazing. And I'm just clapping wildly. This is the best. We're at college. It's my first day of college. Is it your first day of college? Yeah. You know, just super excited. But my parents didn't really catch on until we're waiting in line for my commuter locker assignment. And the place is packed. The line is snaking around like TSA with parents and freshmen. Everyone has a name tag on. Everything's bright as if the sunshine was just emanating from everyone's beautiful, hopeful faces. And I have lightning coming from my fingertips that I have to get rid of. So I have to run like an airplane around the room to get the lightning out. And I'm running and dodging and weaving, uh, going behind the tables. There are these tables that everyone's trying to get to to get their locker assignment. I'm running behind the tables, but always getting back to my parents because they're holding my place in line. Until my mother grabs me by both of my shoulders. And she says, Sarah, are you on drugs? And I say, how dare you? How dare you accuse me of being on drugs? I am excited about being at college. Whoa! College! And then I proceed to run around the room some more. I tortured this poor little Asian boy that I met in line after that. Oh my God. What's your name? Come fat. <laughs> so what's your major? Um, computer science. <laughs> of course it is. Oh, and I just tortured this poor boy and made him run from me and probably made his college experience terrible. So my parents leave quickly, very disappointed in their only progeny. All I can think is, thanks a lot, Leslie. I felt betrayed again. I felt like my fresh start in New York was already tainted, that this was a snowball that was starting to go down. And if I really latched on to Leslie like in the past, it was just going to get worse and bigger and more out of my control. And I really didn't feel like, like she was a friend after that. More time with Leslie meant more experiences like these that I just, it felt like the last straw of our friendship. I didn't want to continue 
with the albatross of Leslie around my neck in this new life. And I just can't, can't do that again. I like my new life way too much to have my old life sort of creep back in. And we don't keep in touch anymore. But I do think about her a lot, you know, and uh, I still put on my liquid eyeliner the same way she showed me how 16 years ago. And like it or not, she was my first finger blast. That's it for this episode, folks. This is the great A.C. Newman behind me now. Hey, don't forget, on February 9th, we are in North Carolina in the Chapel Hill, Carborough area. We're at the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival. And the next day, February 10th, I'll be teaching a storytelling workshop and a sketch comedy writing workshop there at the festival. Go to nccomedyarts.com to learn more. On February 28th, we are in New York, at the pit with Rob Delaney. That same night, February 28th, we're in Los Angeles with Kurt Braunohler at the Nerd Melt. Go to risk-show.com slash tour to find out about all our live shows. And there is one hell of a treat waiting for you at the iTunes store. Go to iTunes and do a search for Risk All-Star. You'll find our brand new All-Star episode in there with Andy Dick, Aisha Tyler, Kamau Bell, Aubrey O'Day, and Greg Fitzsimmons. Those all-star episodes are among our very best. You gotta get it. Go to iTunes, do a search for Risk All-Star. Finally, our new video course from thestorystudio.org is called Storytelling for Business. Over 100 minutes of video lectures, over 30 pages of story exercises, Learn the two essential elements of all stories, 
Learn the one crucial difference between stories told for business and other stories. Learn how to use the six senses to evoke emotion and the five beats of a classic story structure. And finally, learn the one surefire method for driving a narrative toward a persuasive selling point. Go to thestorystudio.org today to sign up for our video course, Storytelling for Business. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Zigzag Oregon, and now we're infested with snakes. Kevin, don't bother us. Oh. <clears throat> Sorry.